Good morning. If you can put the recording on now, I am actually going to fill for a few minutes, but I will blend seamlessly into my sermon, and I would hate for you to miss the beginning. Um, So these cards here that were on your chairs, if you like playing board games, this is a great event. So it's on next Saturday, and you can, if you've got kids, you can bring your kids down. If you don't have kids or they've grown up and you just want to come and play some games, that is also fine. Last year we had loads of us who just sat around tables out there in the atrium playing games together. It is a really nice way to spend an afternoon. If you've got kids, it is a brilliant chance to get them off of screens and devices and get yourself off it and actually sit and engage with them and play with them. And we'll have all the kind of classic games like Hungry Hippos and those kind of things, but also games that you've never played before. So last year I played a game with my boys, which was like um, an animal game with little wooden pieces that you had to build up on a tower. Absolutely brilliant, kept them going for ages. At the Games Cafe a few weeks ago, we played a game. What's it called, Stuart, the game we played? Cobra Paw, which has got like little tiles that you have to grab and, and pick up. And I ended up buying it for Stuart's birthday because we had so much fun together. So if you want to come on your own and just come and play some games, you can. If you want to bring your kids and play some games, you can. If you just want to come and eat the cookies and the fresh fruit and drink the drinks, you can also just do that and come and hang out with us. You have to book in on Eventbrite, though. So I'm saying that. It's a free event, but we need to know the numbers for the numbers of cookies. I would hate for you to get there and there not be enough cookies. For me, that would be a tragedy. So um, book in online, bring your kids along or just bring yourself along. Does that sound good? Stuart did say try and tell a joke, but I am no good at telling jokes. I can do all manner of things, funny stories. and Jokes are not my forte at all. Um, Yeah, I normally start by saying the punchline, so I'm not going to attempt that. Who got baptised today? Are they back in the room? So, Peter Hackett, are you the winner? Yes. He's the baptism winner. Who's got money on Simon being the next one? I'm going for Simon being the next one. Simon and Ollie. Rachel, Elizabeth has already told me that she takes ages to get ready, so she's already explained that there is no way she could be ready in five minutes because of her hair. So, and I do understand that. I do, I, don't, I do think for boys, you just come out of the shower and just do that. Whereas if you do that and you've got this going on, it, it just goes horribly wrong. I don't know whether to fill for a few more minutes, so I'll get started. I'm going to get started, and they'll catch up when they come in, if that's all right. So we have been um, in an Easter series. So it doesn't matter if you haven't been here for the last few weeks. You will be just fine, because this will work as a standalone. But we have been in an Easter series. We've called it Instagram Easter. And if you're unsure as to what Instagram is, it is simply... Um, a social media network which works on images and pictures. So you don't say a lot on it. It's not like Facebook where you write an essay. You literally show images of your life, what you're eating, what you're getting up to, what you're interested in, and your whole feed. My goodness, Elizabeth. Well, look at that. Can we just give... 
We, Elizabeth, we all vote. Well, I led the vote. We all voted and thought you'd be last. You have basically shocked us here in the room. Well done, Elizabeth. The guys coming back from baptism are coming back in a completely different order than expected. So who knows what might happen today? So we've been looking at Instagram Easter, and we've been looking at images of Jesus, basically. So the first one we looked at on week one was called The Last Supper, painted by Leonardo da Vinci. So it's one of history's most famous works of art. And we looked at the picture, which I'm assuming is in the background behind me. And then we looked at the story in the Bible of the Last Supper. And we talked about both. And we had several speakers sharing about this. We then looked at Christ of St. John of the Cross, which is painted by Salvador Dali in 1951. And then we looked at the story in the Bible of the crucifixion. So we talked a little bit about the picture and then a little bit about the story. And then today, we're going to be looking at a painting called The Light of the World. And it's painted by William Holman Hunt in 1853. It's the most famous of all his paintings. And it's okay if you're sitting there thinking, I've never even heard of him. I hadn't either. Um, But it is the most famous of all his paintings. And if you look carefully at the picture... You might not be able to see it so well where you're sitting. Is it behind me? Good. If you look carefully at the picture, you'll see that it's a picture of a door with some overgrown kind of ivy and all sorts of stuff around the door. And it's a picture of Jesus holding a light. The door has no handle on it, which uh, lots of people think has to do with William's own spiritual journey. So at some point in his life, William became a Christian. So a lot of people think this is a picture of his journey of having Christ with his light knocking on his door and him having to open the door. The painting is a picture within a picture, so it's allegorical. And it was originally, the original painting was 59 centimetres by 125 centimetres. So it's about that big. And it's currently held in, if you want to go and see it, Kebble College in Oxford, and it's an oil painting on canvas. So it's a little bit about the picture and the painting. I'm going to refer to it throughout my sermon. Who was the last person back in the room who got baptised today? Who was the last? No way. Simon, is he still doing his hair? He's getting a cup of tea. Yeah, who can blame him? He's had a big morning, hasn't he? So actually, Simon was last, so... Well, what can we say? We're going to read from the Bible. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn to it. If you've forgotten it or your dog ate it, it's fine. I'm going to read from it so you can just follow along. We're reading from Mark 16, 1 to 8. It was Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James... And Salome went out and purchased burial spice so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right-hand side. The women were shocked, 
But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. I don't know what you're like as a person, so I will let you know a couple of things about me. I did a personality profile test thing once, and one of the things it said about me is I love to be adored. I read it and laughed. My husband laughed louder because actually I do really love to be adored. So one of the things I most like is when someone opens the door for me. And I know that in a feminist world and all, I probably shouldn't love it because of course I'm fully capable of opening a door. Like I've given birth to two children, I am fully capable of much. Of course I can open the door, but I just love it. I just love it when someone opens the door for me. It just makes me smile. It just makes me feel loved. It makes me feel looked after. I'm hoping that I will raise two little men who know to open doors for people or to give up their seat for people. It's, it's just such a lovely thing. And I know not everybody loves it, but I love it when someone opens the door for me. And I feel like what I want to communicate to you this morning is the door that Jesus Christ is standing in front of. He doesn't just knock on the door, he opens the door. There isn't a handle on it because you're supposed to open it. There isn't a handle on it because he's already opened it, because he's already made the way. What Easter celebrates is a door that was closed shut on the tomb, but on death that he has just opened wide, that he's basically taken it off the hinges, that that door no longer exists between God and man that actually a way has been made possible for us to step right in. And like when a door is open for you, you can either be offended and you'd be like, well, I'm fully capable of opening a door myself, thank you very much. Or you can smile and walk through it and think, what a kind thing that person just did for me. And you can suck it up and enjoy a moment where someone else does something for you that is gracious and that is kind. When I look at the Bible, whenever I read my Bible, I question things. And that's also what I'm like as a person. I question everything. I question, like, I, I find it pretty tricky doing as I'm told because I question everything. I relate to my oldest son who questions everything. Everything you ask him to do, he's got a question for. And I know it's infuriating, but I also love it. So I question everything. When I read the Bible, I have like a million questions going on. When I see a painting like that, I've got a million questions going on. And so what I'm going to do for the next 15 minutes is run you through my questions of what I think. And hopefully it will connect with some of your questions. And hopefully you'll leave here this morning thinking, wow, Jesus opened the door for me, or just getting a little bit more revelation. I'm hoping you who got baptized, so Simon, Rachel, Peter, and Elizabeth, I'm hoping that God speaks to you this morning. So not only do you step out and do something 
for him that he has asked you to do, but that he meets you in that and speaks to you personally. And I know within a room like this that Jesus can personally open doors, that Jesus can personally speak to each and every one of you. The first thing that I, when I read this passage, I think to myself is why the women, why were the women up early? Well, I know why the women were up early. The women were up early, out the door, getting Jesus' body ready. But in biblical times, the testimony of a woman, and I know when I say this here, it will sound offensive, but the testimony of a woman was not recognized. So it would not be recognized in a legal procedure. It would not be recognized. They would not be a valid witness. So you would never call on a woman to be a witness to something in biblical times. Their, their testimony was not valid. They were not recognized as being a reliable source. So why the women? Why when you're writing a story about what happened on that morning, why would you pick the women? Why wouldn't you wait for Peter to get there? Why wouldn't you wait for some of the other disciples to get there and then write the story from their point of view? Why, if you were God, would you leave it to a bunch of people that most of the people felt were not reliable witnesses. Even for them, holding that bit of information and being afraid, it wasn't just that they were afraid because Jesus was missing or had come back to life. It was also that they would have been genuinely afraid that no one would have believed a word they say. No one would have put any weight on what it was they'd said. And why were the three women not able to roll the stone away? So I was thinking about it. I mean, I recognize that my husband can often lift heavier things than me. There's a maple syrup jar in our house that drives me insane because if a little dribble of maple syrup goes around the edge of the jar, it kind of freezes shut on the maple syrup. For love nor money, I can never open it. And it drives me insane. So I always have to go and find Stuart and say, I cannot open the maple syrup. So I do recognize there's a strength about him. But three women, so I'm going to ask Phil, would you just stand up for me? So let's say me and Phil, and we take our friend Rachel. Rachel, could you stand up for me? So us three, we can't move the stone. So as we're walking up there, we can't move the stone. So immediately I'm thinking, how heavy is this stone? Because Rachel, me and Phil, we're quite strong, aren't we? Yes? We have carried our children. We have, well, we're quite strong, aren't we? I can't open the maple syrup jar, but apart from that, I am quite strong. You're quite strong, you're quite strong. But we can't do it. You can sit down for me. Because the stone is too large or too heavy. So it makes me start to think, how heavy was this stone? What was going on with this stone? So I Googled it because, you know, that's what you have to do nowadays. And the stone, it's likely that the stone on the tomb was about five foot in in diameter. So it's likely it was about this big, so about this round. And the way it went into the tomb was it sat kind of within something else. So the edge of it was on the tomb shaved back and the stone got rolled and sat in it. So to actually get that out is quite tricky. I don't just think it's that they couldn't physically lift the stone. I think because you have to lift it out of the groove, it was probably going to be a very tricky job. They reckon it weighed between one and two tons. So a small car weighs a ton, 
a white rhino or an African elephant? What are we thinking, girls? Could we lift that? I, I was a small car. I was thinking a mini. I used to drive a mini, and my friends used to think it was really funny. Whatever pub we went to when we were having a drink, a few of them would go missing to go to the toilet or whatever, and they would carry my car somewhere else. And it used to be a bit of a joke whenever we went out that I would go out into the car park. I often was the designated driver because I passed my test first, and my mum and stepdad bought me a car. So I was often the designated driver, and I would go out into the car park, and I'd go, where's my car after about the second third time it happened so four four of my friends could lift my mini so it's that kind of size two ton is a mid-sized car or an adult giraffe so that kind of weight so it's a heavy stone we're talking about that got rolled away and when the women walked up their concern was who will roll that away for us so what they're expecting is maybe three men who will roll the stone away. I also find it really interesting that the women were questioning how they would help God out. And when you're a Christian, you do this, don't you? I do this. So I'm aware of things that seem difficult or impossible, and I think, how will I help God? What will I do to enable God to do what he does? So how will I help him? So they are walking up to the tomb thinking, how will we get the stone out? Who will help us move it? How will we help God? He's already told them that he will defeat death. He's already said that the grave will not contain him, that he will not stay there. They already know that, but they are walking up questioning, how will we help God? What will we do to get him out? And then they encounter an angel. And I don't know what you think about angels in the room. You might think, might conjure up fluffy wings, a halo, that kind of image. Angels in the Bible, biblical spiritual beings are terrifying. So whenever you see them, they're often saying, fear not, or stand up, or look at me, or do not be afraid, because they are terrifying. There is something about them that is other, but also takes you back. Angels are spiritual messengers from God. They come with things they want to say about Jesus. They are all over the Jesus story. So from the moment Jesus' birth was announced, angel and angelic activity is everywhere. If I'm honest, we should expect in a church that is all about Jesus to have angelic visitations, messages, images, dreams. So if you are sitting there thinking, I do have a little affinity with the angels. I do see things. I do know things. But I'm never sure whether it makes me sound wacko. It probably sounds like Jesus is around. Whenever Jesus is around, there is angelic stuff going on because heaven is so connected to him. Because spiritual beings want to be where the king of kings is, where the lamb of God is. They want to be around him. They produce worship. They have messages about him. They want to point people to him. So if you're sitting there today and you've seen angels, good. We should see more of them. It should be an increased activity that we're aware of. The stone had already been rolled aside, which I love. As the women are walking up, trying to work out how we help out Jesus, because obviously he's very dead, how we help him out, it's already been done. 
And that's really what I want to communicate this morning, is when you're working hard to be good, and when you're working hard to make yourself right with God or a decent person, the message of Easter is it's already been done. The door is off the hinges. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to even open the door. It's already been done. The door is missing. The door has been rolled away. And the Bible describes you, before you become a Christian, as spiritually dead. And dead people don't do a lot. Dead people cannot muster up enough goodness, cannot muster up enough strength to lift a stone away from the tomb. Romans 6.13 says this, Do not let any of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. You were spiritually dead in your sin, but now, because of Jesus, you have new life. You didn't beat death, he did. You didn't die for the sins of the world, he did. You didn't open the door, he did. So it's fair to say when you become a Christian that I made a decision to follow Jesus. The absolute truth is that Jesus chose you before the foundations of the world were put in place. That Jesus called your name and because his voice in our life is irresistible, you got up and you came. Even the faith that you mustered up to respond to Jesus was given by God, was a gift from God. He opens the door. He rolls the stone away. He defeats death. He does it all in our place so that we get to simply walk through it, so that we get to accept his kindness and his grace. John 15 verse 16 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce fruit, lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And then Ephesians 2 verse 8 says this, God saved you by his grace or his kindness, his over-the-top kindness when you believed. And you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. In reality, what you dragged through the door was your sin and your shame. That's it. So your good works amount to nothing when you stand before a holy God. What you drag in through the door is your sin and your shame, and he deals with it then and there. If you got baptized today, you need to remember that he did it for you, that he rolled the stone away, that he defeated death, that he was raised to life, that he did it all so that you could come straight in. There are no superstar Christians. There are no people who deserve to be there more than you. He did it all for you so that you get to stand before him. If you ever struggle to worship him, love him, or express it, get yourself back to that place. Get yourself back to the cross and stand there and understand that he did it all. Get yourself to the tomb and stand there and understand that he did it all. Get yourself to the door in the painting and understand there's no handle, not because you open it from the inside, but because he's already opened it 
If I'd have painted it, the door would have been off the hinges, sat on the side. He's already done all the hard work. Why? Because he wants a people who will stand before God and honour and worship him. He wants a people who are called by his name to bring glory to his Father in heaven. And you get caught up in all of that. And you get to stand with Jesus because he opened the door. You get to walk right in to the very presence of God because he opened the door. Never confuse it with, if I've read enough of my Bible today, I get to walk right in. If I've been kind enough to the people around me, I get to walk right in. If I've spoken to my children decently, I get to walk right in. Understand that he is the door. He opens the door. He is the way into God. We do well to all remember that. If you are saved here today, it isn't because you went looking. It isn't because you had a hunger to know God. It was because he chose you. He called your name and his voice in our lives is irresistible. If you don't know Jesus yet, please don't worry. When he calls your name, you will come. Because his voice in your life is irresistible. So please don't be sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, what is it that I'm to do? How will I understand this? What will I do? Come and be. Come to church. Come and ask questions. But understand he does it all. And when he says come, you will find yourself like Simon, just standing up and and giving your life to being a soldier of Christ. You will find yourself just saying, yes, Lord. Because there is no other response when a saviour calls your name. This door is open for you to look at whatever you like. So look at where he died. If you are in the room and you're thinking about Jesus and you're asking questions, look at the cross. Read books about the cross. I can recommend one or two, but this one... This this one's called The Passion of Jesus Christ, but actually, if you buy it on Amazon, it's called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Died. They're really short chapters, very punchy. They're good for you if you're a Christian. They're good for you if you're not a Christian. They're very punchy, very short, and they just take you through what it means that Jesus died on a cross. What the Bible says it means, so helpful. Sing about him dying on a cross, talk about him dying on a cross, read stories in the Bible about him dying on a cross, read them with your kids. It's a good place to be in front of the cross. It's a good place, whether you've been saved five minutes or 50 years, it's a good place to take yourself. Look inside the tomb. Take a look because he's not there. He didn't die and stay in the tomb. The angel said, he's, he's risen. He's alive. Look at it. Think to yourself, what does this even mean that he's not there? How many people do you know that defeat death? Look at it. Ask questions of it. That door is wide open to you. He makes things that are impossible possible. He defies our our logical minds where we want to have everything adding up. He defies that. Look at it. Pray like that. Act like that. If you're a Christian, don't think, how can I help God out? Look at the tomb and think, my goodness, he could do anything. And then pray like that and act like that. Look at his book, his story, the Bible. Open it up. The door on that is, is taken away. 
it, the access that you can have to God is incredible. In this country, we're so blessed. We, we have a house full of Bibles. You can access Bibles. You can read Bibles. We are so blessed here. Take advantage of that. Don't go to bed till you've read it. I made a deal with God ages ago that I would not go to sleep until I'd read some of his story, and I don't. I don't go to sleep. That means if it's midnight or 1 a.m., you will find me in my Bible with my little book light with my husband next to me fast asleep because he does his first thing in the morning. Read it. Carry it around with you. Write it down. Pin it up around your house. The Bible is open to you, available to you. And then look at church because the door on this place is wide open. And I would say in every church that you go to, you should find it with a wide open door. If you go into a church and it is close to you, walk out. Find a church where the door is wide open, where people say, come in, no matter where you are, no matter what state you're in, no matter what stage of life you're in, come in. This place is wide open. You want to come and look, you want to come and explore, you want to come and ask questions, please do. We don't mind where you've come from. To be honest, we care about where you're going. And if this church isn't the church for you, find one that is. We'll help you do that. What you want to find is a place where you can walk in and you can meet with Jesus, where all the obstacles are removed for you. Because the tomb, the stone was rolled away. Because you can walk right into his story. Because the curtain in the temple was torn in two, you can come straight in. If you are part of Real Life Church, one of your jobs to do on a Sunday morning is to make sure you're communicating all the time. The door is open, come in, come in. And moving out of the way anything you can that has been overgrown or blocking people getting to Jesus. If that means you make us a decent cup of coffee, because that gets in the way sometimes. If we go to church and they serve lousy tea and lousy coffee, we might think to ourselves, what does that say about our God? So if you're part of removing those things out of the way, thank you. If you're part of giving up a seat so that someone else can sit down. If you break off a conversation with someone you've had a million conversations with to say hello to someone who's brand new, brilliant. Do all you can to remove obstacles. If you are here because church has hurt you, then I am so sorry because church is the place where the door is supposed to be off the hinges, where you are supposed to be able to come so we are so sorry if church has hurt you. And I'm sure there will be times when we also hurt you. And we are sorry for that. But what we want to say is come in. Come in and meet our Jesus. Come in and see that the tomb is empty. That the stone is rolled away. That you don't have to work hard to do that. That he has done it all. If you were baptized today, we love that you made that decision to trust Jesus, follow Jesus, go after him. I would cheer you as loud as I could to keep making those decisions, to keep saying to Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. To keep saying to him, I might not understand everything you ask me, but I'm going to give all I've got to say yes. To train your children to do that, to tell others around you, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, to cut yourself some slack and remind yourself that Jesus has done all the hard work. He rolled the stone away. He defeated death. 
He's not asking any of those things of you. What he's asking is that you accept that the door is open and you walk through it and you say thank you. (laughs) Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to worship our beautiful Jesus and then we're going to pray for these guys. If you have any questions whatsoever, the door on this place is wide open. You can ask whatever you like. If you want to know Jesus this morning, the door is wide open. He made a way. You can come straight in. You don't even need to question, but what about this or what about that? You can say to Jesus, you've opened the door for me. Thank you. I'm coming. So let's stand. Let's worship him. If you've got more questions to ask, you come and ask some of us leaders. You come and ask someone who's come with you. You come and ask the guys who got baptized today.